0: Hello everyone and welcome to the fifth, yes the fifth episode of the Teaching at PAU podcast. I'm your host for today's episode, Crystal Nazal. I'm extremely delighted today that we will be having a very unique conversation centering on the topic of multidisciplinary training in pedagogy and how that then informs one's unique teaching perspectives and then using those perspectives to foster a learning environment inside the classroom that helps students to imagine the realm of possibilities for them post-graduation, including entering spaces such as that of Silicon Valley. We have none other than our very own Dr. Matthew Yalch to speak about just that today. He is an assistant professor at Palo Alto University. His research interests include traumatic stress, personality assessment, applications of Bayesian statistics, and pedagogy. He draws from all of these areas to teach students about statistics and research methods, which comprise many of the courses he teaches at PAU. Thank you, Matt, for joining us. I know this is your first year teaching at PAU. So in order for our listeners to get to know you better, how about you tell us a bit more about yourself and your professional life, including what inspired you to become a psychology educator, as well as what brought you to our wonderful institution.
1: Sure, um, well first, I'm happy to be here. I'm a fan of the podcast. It's really an honor for me to be, be interviewed. Oh, well, um, <laughs> and I guess I started out my graduate school at uh, Michigan State, uh, where I had an interest in the intersection between trauma and personality. Um, and these interests steadily evolved as I got more experience in research, clinical practice and teaching. Um, and I got into teaching honestly because of money. Um, I was a grad student. I needed a way to fund my assistantship for the summer, and teaching was an option we had. Um, and I'd been a TA for abnormal psychology for the first two semesters I was at grad graduate school um, for the same instructor, um, and she was just a masterful and really inspiring lecturer. Mm. Um, so that motivated me to to try teaching, but I was still intimidated. Um, First, by how good she was and by how big the classes were, like upwards of 150 students in an auditorium, which that was a lot for a grad student, Um, but in our psych department, we had a teaching program that was required for all of our first-time grad instructors. Um, We had some other master teachers of psychology there who really broke down the structure and approach to curriculum construction, class preparation and management, and designing grading assignments that prepared me for the first time to teach and got me interested in the art and science behind teaching. Um, and the cl- first class I taught was the same one I TA'd for, that normal psychology class I drew from um, my TA experience there. And that went reasonably well. Um, I also found that I liked teaching. Mm. Um, I guess I got to be known around the department. I liked teaching, wasn't too terrible at it. So when someone in the department needed to teach a teach class in a bind, Um, They, you know, would float it to me, like, give it to Matt, he'll teach anything, whatever. Um, So, I was able to get a lot of teaching experience as a grad student, which opened up a lot of doors to teach undergraduate courses and graduate courses, such as here at PAU, you know, after I left grad school.
0: Mm. I I love the phrase art and science. I often use that with my students to describe clinical work. Um, Can you elaborate a bit more on what you mean by saying teaching is an art and science?
1: I think it's it's an art and science in a similar way that clinical practice is an art and science. Mm-hmm. I think there's been a lot of really thoughtful research into the kinds of teaching techniques that um, are effective in the classroom, both in general and with respect to teaching psychology and clinical psychology in particular. So there's a science behind it. There's a lot of thought behind it, but there's also in the... In the room, in the moment, there's an art to like feeling the the vibe of the room and seeing um, what how students respond and uh, um, the the interplay between student and teacher and student student that makes it more artistic, I guess, an aspect in the classroom in the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I love that. I, I completely agree. It's it's just that that thing that you can't necessarily put your finger on, but that just evolves naturally as you're. Yeah. In. So, um in our previous conversation, I, I really found it fascinating to learn that you did an interdisciplinary inquiry and teaching fellowship that shaped your teaching perspectives. Can you tell our listeners more about this fellowship, what got you um, what you got out of being exposed to educators from a variety of disciplines, and also how this experience and others have shaped your teaching philosophy today? Yeah,
1: it was a, it was a really great program. I was really lucky to have been a part of it. Um, so where I went to grad school, Michigan State, was it's a big school. We had three intensive interdisciplinary teaching programs there. Um, one that was more artsy, one was more hard sciency, um, and the one that was more social sciency. And that last one was the one that I got accepted to, the Interdisciplinary Inquiry and Teaching Fellowship. Um, the program was housed in a residential college within Michigan State. Um, that was an interdisciplinary program that focused on public affairs and public policy. Um, and we fellows, um, it was like a half dozen of us, had regular meetings together and with the faculty in that college. Uh, and these faculty had regularly regularly did interdisciplinary teaching and scholarship. So we met, we read and discussed pedagogical theory, teaching techniques, sat in several classes in, in the residential college that exemplified, engaged interdisciplinary teaching and learning. And each one of us fellows completed an inter- interdisciplinary teaching project. So mine was a short one credit course I ran for students in that college in which we applied psychological theory and assessment to current uh, social and political issues. Mm. So it was a really formative experience for me in learning how to teach and get students engaged in their learning using a bunch of different tools from different disciplines. So it was, it was really formative.
0: Yeah, it sounds, like, it sounds like a phenomenal experience. I think that it, it's extremely enriching to be able to be exposed to different ways of thinking and integrating different disciplines. I think it can definitely deepen the learning experience of students in the room. And it's interesting because Kim Case also spoke about this. So she was a person I previously interviewed yeah. um, at our podcast, and she also emphasized the importance of having an interdisciplinary lens with teaching so having come from a business background myself I really I I definitely value this perspective I think there's a lot to be said about integrating other ways of of thinking within the room so moving on to our next question um, like you I I believe in more applied activities in class so getting past the understanding to being able to do something with the knowledge uh, especially given we're such an applied field Can you now provide our listeners with a few examples of how you shift from discussing a psychological concept in class to having students demonstrate their knowledge in class?
1: Sure, yeah. Um, I got this idea of of doing as being an important aspect of learning, actually from a book that they gave us in that interdisciplinary teaching fellowship. Um, The book was called Understanding by Design,
0: Mm.
1: uh, in which the authors advocated kind of a backwards planning approach to building curriculum based on what exactly you want your students to do at the end of the course. Um, And the authors applied this approach to many levels of education from elementary school to college. But I think the applications to clinical psychology graduate school are are especially apparent because we have some pretty specific concrete things we want clinical psychologists, so our students at PAU to do. Mm -hmm. Um, The best examples of this, um, especially my current teaching, Um, are in statistics. So I'm fortunate in that I get to teach students first graduate statistics course here at PAU. Um, And there's a lot of variability in the amount of interest and previous like statistical mathematical experience that students come in with. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when I was a grad student, I was definitely on the lower end of of stats, knowledge, and experience. I had a very steep learning curve.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: So there's variability in how much people want to learn and have already learned about statistics, but all the students need to be able to write a dissertation. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and that entails selecting the appropriate statistical tests, running those statistical tests, understanding what the results of those tests mean, running a results section, complete with tables and figures that, that we make. Um, and those specific tasks Since that's what I want the students to learn, that's exactly what I focus my teaching on. Mm. The students do every class as their lab assignment, so every week they're running statistical tests using real data that I provide, or maybe that they bring in. Um, They're interpreting the output, Um, they're presenting it in tables and figures, and they're writing about it in the results section. Um, So the outcome of the statistics class is exactly, we as close as I can manage um, to what I would like them to be able to do in their work as a clinical psychologist. Um, so now I have the outcome in mind when I approach teaching the content of the course. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's so relevant and important, especially in a class that tends to have, as you mentioned, sort of a A variety of interests right some people are very heavily interested in statistics and you know you have a lot of students that come in you know with with no not very much interest but regardless they they have to be able to manage statistics and so if you can then align um, the course to something that they will actually have to do in real life I think it's just they're better off for it so I, I definitely align with with how you think about teaching and making sure that what the students get out of it um, is the doing part.
1: And that that really helped me as a a learner who didn't come in with a a strong statistics background. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I had it in my mind that I had to do something specific with what I was being taught, then I learned that thing better. I had a reason to learn it.
0: Yes. Whereas
1: when it was really abstract for me initially, I didn't get it. Like I really had to spend a lot of time going back and relearning, once I figured out that I had a reason to learn about specifically.
0: Oh, I, I completely agree with that, and I've had a very similar experience. So, speaking of applying knowledge, um, there are more psychologists entering non-traditional fields and workspaces, which I'm actually really thrilled about, having come from a non-psychology background, and entering psychology, I see That psychology has so much to offer um, the world. And so I guess since we are in Silicon Valley, I'll center my next question on that. It would be interesting to hear your thoughts on what psychologists perhaps can do in this space, so the tech world. More specifically, I I know you teach your students um, uh, R, which you find relevant outside of psychology. I know we've had that discussion before. So, what types of positions could students get in the tech world by learning this program and other statistics essentials?
1: Yeah, so I guess maybe I'll talk about R, the program, first. So, um, one way in which I um, maybe tweaked a bit how I teach statistics is by using the program called R uh, rather than SPSS as the statistical software that we use to um, learn from in the course. Um, So, one benefit of this as I see it is that in contrast to SPSS, which I find really useful and I use it routinely for data management basic analysis, but in contrast to SPSS, in R you really have to know the ins and outs of the specific statistical analysis you're conducting. So for example what the equation for a multiple regression model is, you need to know that in order to conduct the analysis. Um, So in learning the concepts learning the concepts underlying statistics comes kind of part and parcel with doing statistics in R in a way that for me anyway was less clear with something easier to use like SPSS. Um, So R is very bare bones um, as opposed to like a point and click um, um, interface. So you essentially have to write a mini computer program to do statistics in R. Mm. Um, And while this doesn't make students in in our statistics class, computer programmers, at least not in the same way as our tech friends in Silicon Valley are, the tools and processes that we use in learning to do statistics using R are similar to those tools and processes used by people in some aspects of the tech industry. Um, So I've talked to consultants in biotech uh, business, other applied fields, um, both inside and outside of Silicon Valley, who used the same program, R, and the same statistical methods we use in our stats curriculum at PAU the in their day-to-day work. Um, and one consultant friend of mine who I talked to recently said that he would routinely scout psychology grad programs um, for potential consultants for his consulting work, statistical consulting work, because of where um, the student's statistical programming skills were at. Um, and this is a little bit different from like, Part of your question about where what potential positions are available mm-hmm. um, But it, it does lend itself to like there There's some skill sets that are overlapping
0: Yeah, um. most certainly I, I see that and just you know similar to what I had said before I do think that psychology skills can be applied to multiple do, multiple domains and that the presence our presence psychologists presence in non-traditional psychology contexts will definitely help enrich those spaces and and society overall. So, yeah. we're like-minded in that way. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And the, and the field's very fluid, both the the psychology field and the, and the tech field. It's it's always moving. Definitely. Um, and there's there's things that I've learned about just in the past couple months just by talking to people around me about like tech startups that blend psychology, or psychology startups that are pulling in tech. Um, I think that that will only increase and become more fluid in the future. So there's, a, I think there's a ton of opportunities out there.
0: Mm-hmm. I just saw recently, I have a friend of mine who is a psychologist that started um, a psychologist in tech group, because I think there's more and more psychologists really interested in entering that sphere ex- for exactly what you just said. Cool. So. Definitely, uh, definitely our, our field is changing. It's, it's exponentially changing. So it's, it's interesting to see. Speaking of the future, um, it, you know, in thinking about the two main areas you spoke about today, applied teaching and preparing students for non-traditional psychology jobs, I'd like you to conclude our talk by asking your opinion about where you think our profession as psychology educators is heading.
1: Yeah, um, so I think my, my thinking on this is probably biased from my own training as an educator, um, but I think that we'll increasingly move towards interdisciplinarity. Mm. Uh, so there have been many scientists, so E.O. Wilson comes to my mind, um, who've observed the increasingly interdisciplinary course of science in general. Um, there's a study published some years ago Which the authors looked at over a million journal articles from over seven thousand scientific journals to see how different scientific disciplines um, connected to each other, Um, and the results of their analysis was that psychology was one of a relatively small number of scientific disciplines that was a hub science, a discipline that links together and draws from and contributes to other scientific disciplines, Hmm. Um, and I think that our teaching as psychology educators will reflect this increasingly. Um, so in terms of teaching content, we already have multiple specialty areas within psychology that explicitly blend psychology with other disciplines. So there's forensic psychology, biopsychology, quantitative psychology, neuroscience, just some really readily available examples that by their nature are interdisciplinary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I think psychology instructors will increasingly use the pedagogical techniques. Um, from other disciplines to enrich our teaching. Um, I think this is already happening. Um, for example, in, in addition to using computer programming basically to learn statistics, uh, many psychology instructors use analyses of literature or mass media to teach um, clinical or other applied psychology concepts. I had a teacher who used case studies from ecology and meteorology to teach methodology, um, and I once knew a theater professor, who use acting to help hone students' skills in clinical intervention. Really, wow. I mean, there's, there's a ton of opportunities, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I, I love hearing that, and I think the more creative we get in terms of being able to um, teach the concepts that we want students to learn, the better off they'll be because, you know, being able to make it more relatable or, or done in a way where, you know, not every student's learn the same way. So being able to have multivariate ways and, you know, being able to then add some real-life experience and what's going on in the world, all this will, again, benefit our students and their ability to absorb what we're trying to teach. So it's very exciting.
1: Yeah, it's an exciting time.
0: Yeah, most certainly. This has been a phenomenal conversation. Thank you so much, Matt.
1: Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate uh, being on the podcast. It's, it's been a great experience.
0: Yeah, mo- yeah. I was really excited to have you. I know when I first uh, spoke to you about a year ago, I was really curious about how you would like the Bay Area and, and PAU, and, you know, uh, it seems like, you know, you've adapted really well to our community. I'm really happy to have you as part of it.
1: Well, it's, a, it's a great community. Um, it's really an honor to be a part of it. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much, Matt. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for the fifth episode of the Teaching at PAU podcast. We look forward to having you next time for another innovative conversation on pedagogy.